Hi, Brian. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to episode three of Homebrew Catastrophe. Burp, burp, burp. And oh, Homebrew Catastrophe, it is going to be today. Mm-hmm. Emphasis on the homebrew. Yes. A little less so on the catastrophe, hopefully. I mean... A little bit. Usually goes that direction. A little bit me. of a catastrophe is all right, but we want to focus on the homebrew part today. I think Brian and uh, Brian and I both, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. We both love homebrew. Yes. I think we love it for different reasons. Yes. And we love different areas of it. Yes. But that's what makes it so fun. Exactly. It's like the best parts of D and D distilled into a thing, one thing. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna be we're just gonna be burning through uh, homebrew stuff. I might um, and and Brian any kind of programs that you have as well. But I think throughout the episode, I might just mention as well some of the tools and some of the programs that I use when I'm going through this home home uh, brewing process. Mm-hmm. Just for anybody that I spent copious amounts of time just trying to find the programs to use to even do it. That wasn't probably that wasn't really the best use of the time. <laughs> I would have just rather been making the thing. Mm-hmm. But there is also a certain sort of satisfaction for a certain somebody, certain kind of person that likes, if you like productivity tools and you like journals and like all that stuff, you're probably also somebody that is going to get satisfaction out of finding programs for homebrewing. That's my experience. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a weird section of people, mm-hmm. Brian. Don't make those faces at me. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I was trying to. I was trying to bottle it up so you didn't see, but... I listen to a weekly podcast that's all about pens and paper. Yes. Like, there's no hope for me. Yes, I know. Yes. Um, Brian, do you want to get us started? What, like, what... Yeah, I mean, do you, do you want to start with something? What, what's on your mind? What, what is the thing that excites you the most? Like, if I, like, if, if you were to say, like, hey, uh, you know, I were to come up to you and say, I need X thing made, what could I say that would excite you the most? Um character stuff i mean if you came to me and said hey i have an idea for a character there's nothing really published that meets the fantasy that i'm really going for that would get me all jazzed up yeah and do you i know there's a you know there's a part of it that's obviously the satisfaction i I love how i'm just like doing stuff and stepping away from my microphone that's right i know there's a portion of it that you know is optimizing using the rule set that is available in crunching the numbers and, and making results happen. But then there's another part of it that, you know, when able, you know, stepping out and, and creating new things, yeah, flavoring new stuff, making new mechanics. And I know you're super pumped anytime I say yes to any of those things for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, as we talk about some of our forays into homebrewing, um, it might uh, inspire somebody else. And if it does, let us know about it. Because I know I'm working on some stuff right now. Uh, we've done I've done some playtesting with it, to some success and some really not success. Some very unsuccessful successes. Anyway, I got it. Okay, I got it. I understood. Somebody understands. Yep. So if you can help me out by uh, sharing some of your ideas, that'd be cool. I'd love that. So, like I said, my favorite thing to homebrew is character stuff. I think on the other show I talked about. My first attempt at homebrewing a magic item, which I had yeah, let's, absolutely let's no business trying to make this magic <laughs> item <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons. Do you still have the details on that? Um, let me see here. Uh, I do. I don't. I don't here. have the original 
the original writing for it. <laughs> but mm, it has gone through at least one or two filters. Of... It's gone through so many. Remember, because the first, I mean, the first iteration yeah. of it was like you can teleport at will, and you have yes. like well, you just wanted to do what spell. Noctis yeah. did. Which was you wanted to like teleport as part of an attack action, yeah, like something like that. Yeah, yeah, like at will teleportation and like fifty attacks per attack action of like magic damage that was uh, that's not resistible and there was just there was a lot going on and there was like spells that was part of it and I tried. <laughs> I tried attaching three different spells to the item that were also homebrewed, and it just... It was a hot mess. It was a hot, hot mess. But I've come at least some distance from from that, I think. I don't know about the direction you took, but you're certainly not where you were. I'm certainly not where I was, and that's all right with me. Yeah. Um. So as it sits right now, I just want to disclaim what i'm about to read (laughs) i i haven't actually looked at this in several months a very very long time so here we go the ring of platinum legacy this magic item is usually passed down through family lines that have been blessed by the platinum dragon bahamut but it can be obtained by other means as well it is made of rare type of black platinum that is crafted in the image of the family crest it belongs to, bearing a crystal, a small crystal in its center. While attuned to this item, you gain the following benefits. The ring has 15 charges. You may expend 10 charges to cast the Dark Star spell. When an attack roll that targets you misses, you may spend one charge to cast the Sacred Flame cantrip, targeting the creature that attacked you. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? Say the last line one more time. When an attack roll that targets you misses you may spend one charge to cast the sacred flame cantrip targeting the creature that attacked you ah i see yeah i mean there's like oh but that's both of us have a greater man like reading that just again like wow that doesn't even use your reaction that's just part of the item yeah yeah wow yeah but like both of us have a little bit more of an understanding now and like you know i could totally see us um, yeah. You know, it would be at the level of an artifact or a legendary oh, yeah. item oh, yeah. on some of those things. Mm-hmm. But there is something to be said with those with those things, as far as like not just saying like, oh, that item can't be you know can't be used. Mm-hmm. Like it can have a presence in the game in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. It just yeah. both of us in the past we just didn't know how to how really to translate those things before. And I would say that a weapon like that would like. There's, you know, there's some magical items when you get to the legendary or the artifact state, <clears throat> there are magic items that are, the dungeon master looks at them and like, they could very well just like not work for the type of adventure that's being ran. Mm-hmm. Or an adventure could be run, like could be created specifically like with that, you know, with that in mind. I've looked at, I've homebrewed, I think we've talked in the past about what I use as the current, like the seed that begins kind of the creative process. Yeah. And that can be anything. That can be just like words. That can be images. That can be art. Mm-hmm. That can be magic items. That can be monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be character ideas. That can be seeing seeing an interest or it, interacting with or witnessing an interesting personality <laughs> in the real world. Yeah. Um, that can get something going. Yeah, a magic item like that, I could totally see something being revolved around it because it would totally be powerful enough that a set of adventurers would want to go get it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that was that was my first like attempt. And that yeah. is like 
hyper-refined and transformed version of my first attempt at writing homebrew. And I had a lot of input from you, and I had a lot of input from Steven also. Yeah, at that time, Steven's input was... (laughs) At that time, Stephen's input was about ten times more helpful than mine. <laughs> yeah, and it was, and it was like, um, yeah, you should stop. <laughs> not, not like, was, yeah, I, uh, from him. Yeah, he was like, um, no, I was like, I know that's what my dad was like. I don't just, <laughs> no, and he didn't actually tell me to stop. It was like, um, yeah, you're you're trying really hard to do a lot of stuff for one magic item. And so he gave a lot of really good advice, actually, about using charges and whittling down what the item should do or, like, tweaking how it did certain things. Yeah. And so it was it was actually really helpful. And every, <laughs> every time I talk to you guys about it, I just get discouraged and have to take a break. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was rough. But yes. I think, uh, we've said it before, I think it, for me, it made homebrew and, and other requests from other players less stressful mm-hmm. after dealing with yours. And I, I think for you, like... <laughs> I'm glad I provided that for you. <laughs> I set the bar really high. Yes, you did. And then for you, obviously, that led you to... You were obviously passionate about that homebrew creation. Mm-hmm. And was thus probably more attentive to the feedback and all the lessons that Stephen had for you than you would have otherwise, which were, I mean, I've, every time I talk to him, I mean, as long as I can pay attention, that's usually the only bottle cap, the only bottleneck to learning from him. Mm-hmm. That man so, is an encyclopedia. The folks that listen to, to both of our shows that we do, you will have heard him on The Quality Varies already. Uh, we will have him on this show. Um, in the future as well, because he has much to contribute as far as D and D as well. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that. So, yeah, because it's gonna be I am. it's gonna be good. So my my first, I'm trying to think of like the first thing I created. So I told you, I told you the honest truth of like how my world, which is the world of O'Neill, mm-hmm. got started. Which was I was just running Lost Minds of Fandelver. <laughs> And somebody asked me what this signet ring was meant to. And I looked at the Lost Minds of Fandover book and it didn't tell me. <laughs> I was like, well, I, I, guess I, need, I guess I need four continents and about 7,000 years of history. And then I will, I will come back to you with an answer. <laughs> yeah. And also, I didn't, it didn't ever occur to me, which I think this just goes to like, I, I was mentally ready. Like, I've always wanted to write something and I've always wanted to create. I just, the daunting battle that it is to even get started on doing something like that but i didn't even i didn't look up anything about the forgotten realms lore <laughs> there was no thought to like look up what neverwinter was in the canon wizards of the coast lore mm-hmm. to this day i haven't actually yeah i've i've never looked up uh, besides like now intentionally like i'll go through adventure books and source books and, and gather from insight mm-hmm but to this day, like Neverwinter, I still have no idea what Neverwinter is like in the canon, you know, in the canon universe of the Forgotten Realms. Wow. Uh, because I was just ready, like, I I wanted to do my thing. I looked up a map of Neverwinter, mm-hmm. and the current iteration of my city of Neverwinter looks somewhat similar, if only by name. 
Um, but that was that was kind of how it started, and and then just wanting to like wanting to have answers, and then wanting to have answers for questions that probably nobody would ever ask me, and then being frustrated when somebody still asked me a question that I didn't have an answer to. <laughs> I'm like I don't. I'm like I don't know why you're asking this logical question to me. If you would only ask me what type of soil is on the riverbank, <laughs> you really you really went that deep into no that's that's a joke on on uh, on reddit as far as like somebody will start like i'm gonna create this cool monster and then like 13 hours later like i'm gonna i have like 700 years of soil degradation in the riverbanks (laughs) wow yeah but there are things that i have gotten that minuscule about and i end the night feeling at the same time productive and also super like not productive Mm -hmm. yeah because i just know like like I feel great, but this is never gonna come. <laughs> yes. To the pl- like, I can't even justify bringing this up myself. If I bring it up, the players are just gonna look at me like, "You just had to like this doesn't have anything to. You just wanted to show Lord of mm-hmm. Us." I'm like, "Yes, yes, I did." <laughs> That's fine. I'm totally fine yeah. with that. We weren't even looking for a book, and you just started reading a book that we found to us. <laughs> and suddenly, the librarian comes up and starts reading to you. Yes, like <laughs> here you go. Appreciate my work. So I started I started big and I actually don't suggest people do what I did because it was a lot it was just like months and months not really doing anything but just kind of having it in my head. Mm-hmm. As far as I really wanted to create the entire like I wanted to create I saw a program where you could create an entire globe. Mm-hmm. And I didn't use that program, but in my head I wanted to create an entire globe. Yeah. What I would suggest is how about starting by creating like a starting village for your players. Okay. Like okay. A, a nice, like maybe like a 30 building lost minds of found Delver is a great example of many things, actually mm-hmm. Two wizards of the coast adventures, uh, lost minds of found Delver and dragon of ice fire peak are ran out of the city of Fandolin. Sorry. If I kept saying found Delver, found Delver is the caves. Mm-hmm. Two adventures are run from it. It's got a lot of things. It's small, but it's in an interesting enough location. It really shows on like how much can really be put into this kind of small regional area and make it feel big. But my suggestion to people would make make like a 30 building place. You don't at all have to label each of the 30 buildings and then just think like answer the first question. Like, what does this city like do? Like, why does this city exist? Why, why did it even get created? Is it on a, is it on a trade route? Is it near, is it just a natural village because it's near water? Um, is it near a mine? It's very common for a natural resource to have something to do with it. Was was some event, did some event happen in the past? So just think of one thing and just have that in your head when you're creating things. And then just make, make like the three or four things that need to be in the town. Make the tavern slash inn. Make two or three shops. And like maybe the one interesting thing that sets it aside from like a normal, you know, area. Maybe there's a, maybe the whole town is shadowed by this like statue of an unknown god or something. You know, like a one random thing. Nobody in the, you know, nobody in the village knows how to swim, even though their village spans across a wide river with like a precarious looking bridge. And everybody's like always, you know, terrified. Just like something random to just make it unique. And then you have a great town and then just go from there. Wow. Yeah, that that was a lot. That was a lot for me, man. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe okay, so you you do your world building different, so yeah. maybe you can give immediate feedback. I mean, how does that sound to you? It sounds like a lot, man. Like um I 
I also started uh, world building in a very similar way to you. I was watching Castlevania on Netflix, and I thought I could make this into a D&D game, and it would be super easy. And it super wasn't. <laughs> um, because I had no real drive to, like, make a whole world or like yeah or like ha- or tell this big intricate story i just wanted it to be a, like a grueling dark uh environment to like kill monsters in basically that's that was what i started with you and tanner asked about the town that you would be starting in oh i love can i just say as a i i had been running for a while by the time that we started playing your mm-hmm. adventure mm-hmm. And you, we've already talked about it, but you told me the length that you thought it was going to be. <laughs> yes. And I just internally, I, I smiled and I nodded. <laughs> I said, yes. Yes, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Didn't I say I could, we could do it in like a two shot? Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. Um, and obviously, obviously, I know you've expanded mm-hmm. from your original. I have, yeah. In, you know, intent yeah. since then. But, but still when we were when we were four sessions in and we hadn't left the town that you didn't think we would be going to at all mm-hmm. there was just so much satisfaction and can i can i tell you as as feedback for you those like i've loved the stuff that we've done um in there but you know just you know i like different things just as everybody likes different things mm-hmm. those four sessions were probably some of the best sessions that we've had really so far yeah wow for me hmm and I will say, you know, that's probably because I, I don't play any of the Castlevania games. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, there was probably just naturally more to kind of just like ground myself in, in the fantasy village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think there's also just a, an innate, you know, you did a, you did a good job at, um, at going out kind of off the seat of your pants, uh, in the village. <laughs> well, thank Cause you. there were some things that you had to do. Yeah. There's a lot that I had to do, but thank you. Yeah. 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 So, I mean... So you and Tanner asked, what's the name of this town that we're in? And I had to pause the freaking game and, like, look yeah. up cool city names on the internet Yeah, in the session. Like, I, I don't know. It's a nowhere town in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, uh, like, the only... It's Castlevania point two. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's town A in, in the, in the yeah. game. Like... It's nothing. So I knew that it had like a main thoroughfare and it had the big chapel, right? The big cathedral. Um, yeah. And that was like, it was supposed to be the, like the main story hook to lead you into the castle. And that was it. Like there was the, the two characters in the cathedral and no one else in the whole town. I had zero notes for any other NPCs because I thought, yeah. oh, this thing is going to be, I mean, it's going to be so obvious, right? And I've told them that I don't have anything in the town, so they'll hopefully be nice to me and not try to explore this town, <laughs> which four sessions later, <laughs> they spent four <laughs> sessions in this town. Yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, so like having those having those questions answered would have been really, really helpful. And I, I hadn't even thought to ask any of those questions in the first place. Yeah. But I mean, as far as affirm, you know, affirmations again, yes, I, you know, I knew, I knew the level of prep that you had done. (laughs) 
it still it still felt like I didn't feel like these uh, I didn't feel like the fourth wall was broken and I was just a player like waiting for the DM to give me some names for video game characters like it didn't feel that way like uh, it felt like we were interacting with people in the in the city you know we we were doing stuff we were scaring villagers <laughs> people were running around having like normal interactions with what was going on which was terrifying stuff mm-hmm. and uh and yeah so that's like even knowing even knowing that the characters were being brought up on the spot like it didn't it didn't feel that way <laughs> well thanks man yeah and i think uh and i think one of the you know i always have this contest of like maps for cities versus like theater of the mind mm, and yeah. i think for for this city for the castle like i don't personally need a map because i have this image in my head based off the descriptions i can't remember what descriptions you gave mm-hmm. but the ex- because of the experience we had in there i have a general image of like being on the cathedral steps looking out and what i kind of generally see in the path up to the up to the castle mm-hmm. it is most certainly not what you have in your head sure but what's in Im- what's important is that i have a visual in my head mm-hmm. and because of that if we want to get all you know psychological because I have that visual, both of us are interacting within this space. It's it's basically real, depending on how you define it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one way to interpret that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's. Um, I think we've kind of touched on this a couple of times, but this game exists in this this kind of cloud. Like, think of the cloud on the internet, but the computers are our brains. And the internet is our collective group imagination. And that's that's kind of where it takes place. Which, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, yeah. It's, it's real in our heads. So, therefore, it is, right? Yeah. I want to ask, because I actually, you know, I want, I want to give somebody just like the, even just the smallest bit of helpful info. The description with like a small village and like creating a couple things, do you feel like the starting point could even be a little bit smaller? based on your reaction to what i was saying like my like like the starting point in my game could have been smaller. no so like i you were saying like you i said like hey make this village only like 30 buildings and you said you said wow that's that's a lot do you feel like somebody that's just trying to get the hang because i'm trying to do this with like there's things that i'm already comfortable with and i don't really have to think about mm-hmm. so like from your initial reaction do you feel like it it could even be healthy for it to be a little you know even smaller um, you know, just starting, just starting with a tavern, just starting. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, um, I would say just flatly, yes, it could be helpful. Um, maybe just start with the tavern. How many tables are in the tavern? What's at the bar? You know, what what's the barkeeper look like? Stuff like that. And then if that's really, really comfortable, you know, then maybe go outside what's out in the city like what city is this in yeah and then you know maybe go from there but i mean for me personally i bit off more than i could chew with with the (laughs) the, uh the cathedral nothing in the town and the castle like that was just about more than i could even handle um so i probably would have benefited greatly from uh like starting off in a like in a caravan or something like, like, uh, like around a, like maybe start at a campfire at night 
and you're part of this merchant caravan with like five covered wagons or something. Yeah. And so you have like, you, uh, depending on how big your party is, you can have like one to three NPCs, some wagons and horses, and then you can just be out in the wilderness and not really have to uh, develop anything else. Yeah. That probably would have been a safe starting point for me as a DM. Well, and it's um, so so. There's actually um, described by people much smarter than me the to taking different approaches. There's no problem with that. Some people they do start, albeit in a healthier way than I did. They do start with the, the largest scale. Mm-hmm. They create lands and then they put stuff on the lands and then they you know they kind of and then other people they start with the tavern. And then they go from the tavern to the street and then the street to the village and then the village to the region. The important thing for me was I personally needed the, just like the continuous loop of asking questions to myself. And I mentioned that in the, in one of the previous episodes, but let's take the case of the tavern. So there's a couple just innate things that in my head, I kind of want to establish. So I think about a tavern. So there's some tables. um, So I kind of put some tables there. Is it a super big one? Is it a, you know, is it a very kind of small, just kind of on the corner, you know, maybe three tables there kind of thing? Or is it a big one where there's multiple levels and there's private rooms and there's a balcony with like a viewing kind of thing for all the, you know, the important people? Mm-hmm. And then uh, does it have a, does it have an inn mm-hmm. attached to it? You know, it's, uh, like those are all things that I just kind of think of right off the bat and I'll kind of answer. Then I go in and I say, um, okay just the process that my head goes through right now is uh, what do they serve? Do they, uh, there's no problem if they serve the common, just the common foods that you would find in most places, but that's something I want to have answered beforehand. So do they serve common food or is there something unique about it? Like the, the, um, one of the taverns that you guys went to at that fishing village, <laughs> the hook and being, cook, the hook and cook. Ah, oh, that's my so the, favorite. The place. unique thing there was that it was a purely like, it didn't have food caught the food and you brought it in and they would cook it for you um Mm -hmm. and um the uh the agreement i don't know if you guys ever like found out in game as characters but since they didn't have to buy food the money was just going towards something similar where they would just pay a hatchery way up the coast and the hatchery a couple times a year would just fill this this whole area with uh with fish hmm um, wow. So do they, but in general, do they serve regular food or is there something unique about it? Do they only serve fish or do they mm-hmm. just serve like this really weird thing? And then in general, what is one interesting thing about the tavern in general? Is the, is the innkeeper super weird? Um, is there a, is there an activity or a thing in the tavern that's unique? Um, there's a tavern that you guys haven't come across yet. I can't remember what the name of it is, but there, there's this game that you can go play where it's like the, the, that Greek, uh, you're, you're going to know so much more about this than I do, but like that Greek image of like the dude that's forever rolling this like stone up a hill. Okay, yeah. Inspired by that, there's basically just this big boulder on a ramp in the corner. And any anybody, I think this is a, in a dwarven town. And so like the like strength is admired. Mm-hmm. And any dwarf or anybody that can get this boulder all the way to the top of the ramp um gets uh, gets a free drink or gets free drinks for the night um oh, wow, that's but, sweet that's but like something sweet. like you only need that one thing it, it can be it can be anything you can have games in the mm-hmm. thing there could be a um you could be in the northern like uh kind of in the north pole and you could have a hole in the middle of the room for ice fishing um mm-hmm. the innkeeper could mm-hmm. just be like this disgusting 
figure or maybe they're like a very well-known past adventurer that just does this to basically they just bought a tavern so they had a place that they could have free drinks with with their old adventuring buddies and you guys just get to <laughs> basically benefit off of his generosity and uh, or maybe they serve a really interesting dish um, that that everybody comes there for like a really like a hot sauce or like a really alcoholic drink or something like that and one one unique thing I put all that down and then the whole time I'm just kind of thinking to myself and I'm asking myself questions like in the adventuring mode, like, is there anything, uh, they have a unique dish, where do they get this dish? And then, and then, you know, down the, down the path, uh, I say like, okay, they need a body of water. So now, okay, now a body of water goes, you know, goes down the path, um, a little bit of ways, or maybe the innkeeper has a family. Um, and the, like maybe the, the kid is growing up and doesn't want to be an innkeeper. He wants to do, he or she wants to do something else. Maybe they want to be a blacksmith. And so now you've set up, like, now you need to know a little bit about, you think in your head, like, okay, obviously there's a blacksmith in town. And so now this this kid of the innkeeper is now always, find, like, getting caught at the blacksmithy shop trying to learn from the blacksmith. And that's that's a couple doors down. And you keep asking questions. Where are the cooks getting all their supplies? Where are the, who is it that's coming into the tavern? Are they workers from a mine? Are they farmers? Um, are they travelers from out of town? If they're travelers from out of town, why are they in town? Like these questions keep revolving around. And as you keep answering them, more questions keep coming. Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And eventually you'll have a village. And then once you have a village just for answering all these questions, then you get to stop for a second and say, okay, like I have a village from all these things. And now let's just like I just looked at a tavern. Now let's just look at a village and make sure there's not any big gaps that I've left for my questions. And so like, um, you know, I answered all these questions, but now that I'm looking at kind of this visual visual map, I would like to have a courtyard in my, you know, my village and just fill in kind of those gaps. And, and then you keep going and then you just keep mm -hmm. asking and then you keep asking questions. Sounds like a descent into insanity. It is a descent into insanity. I am not. Uh, I'm not giving this advice to somebody that uh, somebody that likes to make good use of their of their time. <laughs> but that is the way. That is the way that I personally f like to do things. It. I will say that it doesn't usually happen like that. Usually, I sit there for a while, and nothing happens, and then I get one idea, and then 30 minutes later, there's a combination of notes on my computer my phone, my iPad, and pieces of paper on my desk <laughs> because I'm just trying to write them down quickly enough that I don't forget them because they're mm -hmm. all coming at once. Half of them get go missing anyways. And the half that remains gets distilled down into like a quarter of what it is, and that's what you guys get. Yeah. Well, that, ugh, man. So do you ever, that seems like a very like patchwork, um, like RAM way, if I can use that term. Of like building a world, like here's a tavern, and then the oh the kid that likes to be at this tavern is from like he is over here most of the time, or he gets caught at the blacksmith, whatever you said. Like that seems very patchwork. Yeah. Right. Like you're like you have these different pieces that you're putting into a puzzle. Do you ever just like have one idea that you take, and you just write a single thread of story from? In the way that I understand your question. I would say that's actually probably the thing I have the hardest time with. Really? Yeah. So like 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 writing lore, for example, or history, part of the backstory of your world, is there ever is there 
any stretch of lore or history that you've just had like oh well this king was like this kingdom was in a war against this kingdom and you just like took that war and you just wrote a story from that or wrote some lore from that i i think so yes so like I have the his like I have the I have the history of O'Neill. Um, I I did mm-hmm. a couple. Uh, it needs to be updated, forever. Um, <laughs> but I made that a couple months ago, and that was mm-hmm. basically just giving like the fast track up to t- today's date, in, but include taking a big long section to talk about one of the predominant wars in the uh, in the history. Yeah, and I would say that war was like a kind of a single. There were a lot of parties involved, but yes, I did kind of. Like I did just kind of write out that lore, the final, the final battle of that war. I just sat there and I just wrote out, um, kind of in a single night, kind of what was going on in my head. Okay. Gotcha. So, but nothing like, like a novel or a book where you just have one event or one, a set of characters that you just write about for an extended period of time. That's like one continuous story or string of events. No. And I, maybe that's just because for me, like I went from like not writing anything to writing for D and D adventures. And so stuff, I like, I'm so used to stuff getting like splintered so quickly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so uh, like, for example, I want to, you know, talk about a little bit. The timing of this episode is nice because my, uh, I had, we had taken a break. I have two groups, yours and one other. And the other one had taken a break for a couple months and we're getting started up again. And I asked them, would you like to continue the story that we were going on? They had gotten to, I think level like 11. So they were up there. Yeah. Yeah. Or would you like to, to do something different? And the most of them were like, yeah, actually we'd be, you know, if, if you were open to doing something different, you know, we'd like to try out new characters. We'd like to do something, you know, try out some new stuff, try out some new themes, some new game elements. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, uh, let me just mentally prepare myself to do this all over again. Uh, (laughs) But I asked them, and they gave me some feedback. Um, and one of the players said, uh, "I'd love to like gothic horror. I think that would be really fun, or like gothic." Ooh. And mm-hmm. I said, "Wow, okay. I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything like that before. But I'm super open to looking at it." And I think the night before, I had thought of the adventure that I wanted to share in today's episode for the homebrew adventure, and it was a gothic mm. adventure. Ooh, see, I'm really excited about that because uh, I have always hated horror Uh, my whole life yeah so uh, my dad really liked especially gothic horror like like he was always reading dracula and yeah classic european gothic horror yeah and watching like scary movies and stuff and he i mean i'd never watched them but the little bits and pieces that i saw or like the pictures on the on the the front of his books or like uh these like documentary series of paranormal whatever yeah like they freaked me the freak <laughs> out and so like i always hated horror but um i don't know i don't know how or why but just recently within like the last year of my life i've started like dipping my toe into it Okay. Into nice. horror stories. Yeah. I think the, the first time I like consciously recognized that I was enjoying horror was uh, 
in Critical Role Campaign 2, they were they were in some like temple or something and they were trying to free Yasha. Oh, Ashley's character. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was all these like chains and it was like really dark and it was just like really really like scary. Yeah. And it was like really messed up. I was like digging it, man. I don't know. For some reason I just started like really getting into it. I have found cuz I I'm like you. I spent a huge amount of time just I watched the PG-13 live action version of The Boogeyman and I couldn't look at a window for like three weeks. So, um, and I was like 15, which is, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, but recently like, and especially, so for me, especially like writing it, it's all the, all the good and none of the bad. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Man, there are some like, just, I've gotten some tidbits of just like some really good storytelling that's done in a, like mm-hmm. a thriller horror kind of way or just like yeah. dark in general. Yeah. So it's been, it was, it was, I immediately like, okay, this is super different, but I'm open to it. And part of the reason I was open to it was because I had gone through and I had done this stupid thing where I made this whole world at once. And at some point in time, <laughs> I knew that I had like carved out this like huge swath, the entire Southeast and just, I mean, hopefully the smart ones have already left, but if anybody from my <laughs> Thursday night campaign campaign are still listening, uh, if you want to enjoy the adventure, you're, you're, you should leave. <laughs> I had carved out this huge portion of southeast of the southeastern continent that all of you guys have play, been playing in so far, and I just made it a forest. I'm like, that's just one big forest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. And in my head, I'm like, this like whatever I do with that, eventually, like there are I don't have any specifics yet, but there are vampires there. Ooh, okay. I'm like, into it already. Like Curse that's of it. Curse of Strahd, kind of like yeah. some th- something similar, Dracula kind of thing. But there yeah, are yeah. there are vampires in that forest. Mm-hmm. and i left it at that for a year and a half and then this player asked me like gothic horror i'm like okay i don't know what i'm gonna do but i know that there are vampires in this forest over here so i took that but then i had to i wanted to put um i wanted to put a town next to it i didn't want to have it just like literally no civilization just like dark that didn't interest me mm-hmm. i still wanted to i wanted gothic horror to be present but i did not want it to be overwhelming like i wanted them to like mm-hmm be in like an oppressive area but they like had a safe haven that they could go to Mm -hmm. and they could Mm -hmm. like get the quests and then go venture out into the darkness you know okay yeah um and so i had a city i wanted to create and the city is still like it's dark it's it's not necessarily fun to be in they're feeling the effects of all this weird stuff that's starting to happen in the forest Mm -hmm. and like conflict is happening in the city but it's not like it's not the same as like being out in the woods at 1 a.m in the morning it's yeah. not it's not a pitch black like horror scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So then I had the city in front of me and I said, Okay, like now now it's more of I do get to benefit from being a DM for a certain amount of time because I get to just sit there and look at, okay, I have like six or seven things that I just want to have like be present in the in the city. I wanna have a couple different class structures. First uh, like I want there to be a conflict in the city and for me that turned into like their there's a, bu- there's a bunch of, like, uh, I don't want to go into the whole thing right now, but a bunch of, like, injured people with, like, serious injuries, like, missing appendages or, like, missing eyes have come mm-hmm, into town mm-hmm. recently because a, a scientist has claimed that he ha- he can now, he has the ability to make, like, prosthetic arms. Oh, wow. That's cool. So people, like, flocked in, but he is delayed and he hasn't been getting them out to people. So now they're just, like, these unwelcome newcomers that are just, like, a blight to the city right now. 
and they, but they won't leave yeah. because this is their only hope of life in their eyes. Right, right. So there, there's this conflict between them and then the nobles. And I'm trying to create like a Witcher style, like no right and wrong. Like the nobles are just disgusting, like terrible people. Mm-hmm. The guards are like ignoring the deaths of these newcomers whenever they happen. Mm-hmm. And... And, like, nobody feels welcome, and it's just, like, within there, like, there's, like, small beads of light, and the characters can go around and kind of do their thing. Mm-hmm. And they can also mm-hmm. take their turn in manipulating the city. So yeah. I knew I wanted, so I, I wanted some class differences. So I wanted the city leadership. I had the city leadership. I had the guards. I had the scientist, which is actually doing his own thing. And, like, he has his own, like, mechanical guard, like, automatons and all that. Mm-hmm. The nobles the newcomers and then i'm like okay those are the clap like those are kind of the structures within the city and then i knew i wanted factions so i put a couple factions and one faction that's secretly being paid by the nobility and ignored by the leadership and the guards to assassinate these newcomers oh wow and then the the thieves guild which used to be very like illegal but have now just kind of taken up um along with maybe some of the temple workers they've just taken up as kind of an informal security to these newcomers and they've almost become the good guys, but they're still like not good yeah. people. Right. Mm, so then you have a couple classes and, and there's some things like, and that is where I do feel like I am gay. I am gaining from just like, I've, I've experienced it a hundred times. I know what I want in a city. I know what's important to me. I know what I want the players to experience. All of that mm-hmm. comes to mind pretty quickly. And I don't, I don't say that to intimidate folks that haven't been DMing for a while, but I will say like, like there is a, you do get better. Like there is a mm-hmm. reason that people that DM for longer periods of time, like yeah, there's that confidence there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do level up, like in real life. Yeah. At D and D. Yes, you do get better at the thing that you spend thousands of hours on. <laughs> Incalculable time. <laughs> yes. All of the time that you forsake your, you know, your meaningful relationships into this, they will have a payoff. Maybe. Will it be will it be higher than the payoff you would get from a, a real connection? No. <laughs> but you will have a payoff. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those those are some things that come to mind. That was a lot of like just like spitting stuff out. I, I don't know if anybody I hope somebody kind of finds that somewhat helpful. I think that was great information. I mean you just threw together a a very well developed city in just a few minutes with the I mean with factions and classism and like like locals versus um immigrants um yeah that like that relationship there's the uh the engineer or scientist who's making prosthetics like that's a cool aspect i think uh i mean that was like that seems like a really cool dark town with a lot of awesome imagery with a bunch of freaking paraplegics walking around <laughs> Yeah, and there's like vampires and horrors out in the out in the woods just outside of town. Like that's a really cool place. Well, and I don't want to give people the impression like I just sat here for, you know, I just kind of sat down and like 30 minutes later I had all this written out. This was having DM'd for a couple of years and having all that knowledge. This was about a week in it. Like this was about a week of like pretty even while I was doing my main like my main work, which mm-hmm. even though it doesn't really line up with the amount of time that I put into it, put into it. I have a I have work that is not D and D. While I was doing, like it was it's kind of just ever present in my mind, and I certainly was not coming up with it all by myself the whole time. Mm-hmm. I am I am watching videos on gothic stuff. I'm watching playthroughs 
of Curse of Strahd. I am mm-hmm. I'm going through discussion boards of cool, of like gothic monsters. I want to show you, Brian, as an example to this. Yeah. Just for the monsters, you can't like the... Maybe I'll take a... Uh, no, I'll just describe it to you. I'll just show you the image, Brian. I went through the okay. couple of... And this is... I have a couple online monster manuals, but I have a couple in print on my bookshelf as well. And I went through them with the soul of 10 and there's, I just want to bookmark everything that looks Gothic. Yeah. And so this is what I have. Oh my gosh. There's like, there's like a whole package of different size sticky notes. Yeah. No, there's like, those are just hundreds of sticky notes. Those are just regular sticky notes ripped up and, and so that I could. Oh, there's different sizes of sticky notes all ripped up. Yeah. There's hundreds. Wow going through the monster manual i was having a, like i was having a real hard time and and it's a real hard thing in the in in general and i have an especially hard time with it it's like the end like what does the big bad evil guy want yeah. what's their main thing and making sure is it climactic enough like does it actually fit mm-hmm. to be at the end of this big mm-hmm. long adventure yeah like what are they <laughs> like what do they want can what i are say they that's like do? one of the first things that i thought of in my in it's my a game. good it's a good thing it's that's yeah um, that's a total great and actually um, how to be a great game master. That's his recommendation. Like really? the, the, the first thing that you do is like, okay, the, I can't remember how he states it. I just listened to it. I just watched it this morning. This is the mm-hmm. first thing you do is like, what is something that somebody wants badly enough to go to extreme, like mm-hmm. to go to extremes mm-hmm. to get it. Mm-hmm. And you start with that. And then just like I was saying, where you ask yourself questions now that you have that and you say like, okay, what does he need to get it? When does he need mm-hmm. to get it? Who does he yeah. need to get it? And yeah. then from there, you start developing like, okay, he needs the example he was using was science fiction. And so he was saying like, he wants to open a portal up in the solar system to bring in an invasion force to like take over the the solar system. It's like, what does he need to do that? It's like, well, he needs very advanced equipment. So he needs, he probably needs to steal. He either needs to be a genius and like be part of the, organization or needs to steal from a very scientific organization like who does he need he needs uh, lots of forces to like help this like secret effect and you just start answering answering those questions um i would love it if i could start with that that never seems to be what happens because i just mm, think of yeah. what i always do is i think of cool I, I just all i do is i think of cool encounters and cool settings that would be interesting to the players and then i have to sit there yeah. and i have to justify what does that lead to yeah yeah but i think that's an excellent way to start yeah yeah it's been really fun because uh i started with okay i'm i started with like okay castlevania we're just gonna put castlevania into D rule set and then from there it was a very slippery slope into like okay but it's not gonna be like dracula at the end i want it to be bigger than dracula yeah so i took i took i started taking things from published D D content yeah and i okay so i set up the bad guy in place of dracula and then well so he's not exactly dracula so his motivation can't be exactly the same yeah and so okay yeah but it's kind of the same but it's diff but it's different yeah and so i'm trying to like dance around this now because i don't want to reveal it to you jordan yeah. because well and there's like you know <laughs> i'm a player i am a player yes um but there's like you know there's a reason the trope is so popular and so there's sometimes that I have to remind myself, like, I can step into some of these common tropes mm-hmm. because, like, my players are, like my players haven't played a 
gothic campaign before. Right. Like, it's still going to be, like, it's popular for a reason. Curse of Strahd is super popular for a reason. It's their second most sold adventure in history. Um, hmm. And everybody knows about Dracula, but yeah, people want to yeah. people want to play in it. And so if um, and so like for me, I was having a I was having a similar thing, um, but I didn't I didn't want to. Um, and I, there was a couple layers because I was trying to I was trying to include some of that world history that I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah, wanted to have yeah. it all tie in. And so I was going through these books, just trying to find cool monsters. And as I was going through, I would I would see a thing, and just like those seeds, I would see a frog that like an exploding frog. I'd be like, okay, that's dope. I like, okay, immediately I think, okay, the characters are asked to just like go get a, like a rare ingredient from the forest because mm-hmm. the forest is dangerous and nobody wants to go into the forest. Yeah. So they go get this ingredient. Yeah. There's no, there's no like monsters that they attack there, but these like glowing frogs Im- start exploding when they're in the, when they're in this garden. And so you just like go through the, I was going through the monster manual and just writing down anything that sounded cool. Like any of these monsters, mm-hmm. just putting bookmarks in, writing anything down on all these adventures. And then I came across... I'm choosing between two big bad evil guys. Mm-hmm. I might just be lazy and I might make him one thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Where he's a he's he's one thing, but he also has taken so long to research and like in his insanity, he has also become this other thing. And so instead of it being two mm-hmm. monsters, he's just one big bad evil, evil guy with two phases in the in the yeah. at the end. So um, yeah, I like that. But I never would have. I found both the motivation the setting and the story and the bad guy and like the monster just from reading through the, the books and like reading through the lore that the books had already put in. I read mm-hmm. through this guy, this evil guys. And like, this is what they are trying to do a lot of the time. And I say, okay, that doesn't resonate with me, but I, this idea just kind of formed in my head and I'm going to write, I'm going to write a little bit out about it. And so when people are mm-hmm. sitting there just like, Oh, I can't, I can't think of anything. That's not, uh, Maybe there's sometimes that you you need to do that, but a lot of times for me, it's just good for me to just start listening to other, listening and reading and watching other stuff and just let my brain mm-hmm. wander. Yeah, I was actually going to ask, like, what kind of things do you, you mentioned some, but what, what kind of things do you draw from while you're world building? Because I know, like, I have a lot of things, a lot of mine comes from Final Fantasy. Obviously, Castlevania was a big uh, inspiration for the the world that I'm building. But like, what kind of things do you frequently draw from as you're creating and writing? Yeah, so I'm just gonna, I'll just kind of shoot them. Like, I'll just shoot off a bunch as I think of them. I have the, I have the regular YouTubers naming. You know, I'm definitely gonna miss some, but naming some of the big ones that I've watched recently: um, Dungeon Dudes, uh, Dungeon Coach, XP to Level Three, How to Be a Great Game Master, uh, DM Layer. I've actually all of this month so far, I have gone to because I. I have felt the need for most of my life to have something and to listen to um, mm-hmm. or watch when I when I go to sleep. And so this month, what I chose was uh, all of the DM layers Q, uh, Dungeon Master Q and A videos. And he's just sitting there talking to chat, and he'll he'll just see questions in chat on his Twitch streams, and he'll just answer them and kind of go through questions about world building and all that. And so I'll just sit there and listen to it while I fall asleep. <laughs> I'll go through uh, like I know this is the Gothic one, and so I know okay. Um, XP to level three has a, I like watching his stuff. And so he has a curse of Strahd campaign. So I started watching through that. Um, dungeon dudes has a, just, I haven't gone through a lot of it, but just an amazing visually looking Gothic adventure, uh, Drakenheim. Uh, I don't know what the full mm-hmm. name is, but that's the name of the city that's based in that, uh, yeah. that is 
on its way to the Kickstarter ended a while ago and the, and the, and the books are getting sent out to folks and the PDFs are already available. Right. Um, like I said, uh, going through the monster manuals and just looking through monsters and just letting my mind kind of wander where it is the same thing with just going through magic items. And like, like I was saying with the ring, you'll come across magic items that just seem to fit with kind of what I have in mind. And like, Oh, like that's worth this happening. Or I'll think like, Oh, that, that's a great, that's an item that totally fits with a character that I have in my head or helps the care, like with the feel uh, with this Gothic thing, I found just a common magic item for a flame that doesn't go out by normal means. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't get extinguished by normal means. It's like a, it's like a common magic item. Yeah. That yeah. immediately intrigued me in like the Gothic kind of setting to just have these like candles mm-hmm. that, that were just kind of ever present when they shouldn't be for whatever reason. I've really mm. thought about it too mm-hmm. much, but immediately just like interesting to me. Yeah. Um, or like candles, like in a Gothic underwater, you know, thing mm-hmm. like at the bottom of a lake, this is like, this is just coming to mind right now. Maybe like they got to find something you know, like an old, um, drowning in a lake in the forest in the dark. First of all, <laughs> lakes in a forest at night, one of the most like terrifying things ever. <laughs> really? Yeah. Cause like you got the trees are just pure black. So you just have this ring of like darkness that goes up however 50 60 feet and then you just have the Mm -hmm. sky above you and then it's just like you just like see the sky and then it's just like nothingness it's a weird it's a weird feeling Hmm. and like you go down there and there's like somebody and but it's actually been like propped up for some reason like the skeleton is like sitting up and there's like these candles underwater still lit like around the skeleton it's like okay what the f's going on here yeah what the heck you want to explain yourself buddy yeah <laughs> what you doing here jeffrey that's um, amazing yeah. um, like immediately like oh like that's freaking sick um mm-hmm. and then my problem is is like i'm thinking about that before i'm thinking about the end the end game so then i have to sit there and explain <laughs> to myself like how does that lead how does x lead to y um mm-hmm. kind of thing and then yeah there's some video game stuff i haven't i haven't actually pulled a lot of video game stuff recently and then if i know what i'm looking for like for the gothic thing then yes i'm looking up um just what the community has to say about it. And I'm looking up like Gothic yeah. old Gothic or old, like German, like town names. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm looking up just like atmospheres and, and art is a huge thing for me, just something visual. So I'm going through like the critical role art pages or I'm going on deviant art yeah. and I'm looking at that or, and I'm just looking at concept art of stuff because somebody's going to have something yeah. in there that is just amazing to me and something I wouldn't have ever thought of before. Yeah, and I think that really helps um, solidify the uh, like the themes or the uh, like the the atmosphere that you want to capture with your yeah. with your game, and that will help. I mean, that, that helps me a ton in picking out monsters and and describing locations and stuff. And it just it's that's kind of the backbone I think yeah. for me when I'm like coming up with a, a location or a room or something the an image is like one of the first things that i need yeah to like to really kickstart what's what's actually going on what do the characters see what can they interact with and and, and things like that can uh um i i want to talk about it more but both of us have strict uh strict uh time allowances today um mm-hmm. and i want i want to get through our like today's episode of our of our homebrew or our character creations and adventure creation. Are there any quick points that you want to make sure the the audience is aware of? And this is definitely is not going to be the only episode we do on homebrew stuff. 
No, absolutely not. This kind of turned into like a, a world-building homebrew episode, but my favorite thing is making up subclasses, character subclasses, to like to really like hone in on a very, very specific fantasy to play as as a character in a game. And well, that yeah, that's just I mean that's just what I find the most fun in in creating homebrew stuff. Like, why does this subclass exist? Why is it a subclass for this class instead of this class? Like, uh, like the dragoon that I wrote up. Yeah, I made that a ranger instead of a fighter. Um, and like, I thought the the backstory from that was pretty interesting. And so I leaned into rangers instead of fighters. And like, what abilities will they have? And like, why? What training did they do, or what did they find that? led them down this path and but keeping it in a really vague in a really vague sense so you can still have a character and another person can write a character who can who can take this class yeah that's what i think is really fun because that for me is you know gives me more options to play Play in a world such as yours yeah i'll just comment spells are good too spells another fun. fun another fun thing for characters is and if you need help or if you need practice start with a spell start with a a low level spell and just come up with like an effect to do and that's i think that's a good that's a good starting point if you want to get into homebrewing character themed stuff on the character side absolutely and i know the just again you know i've been going through all of the videos for everybody uh, the dungeon dudes uh, has a video on on homebrewing uh, spells so I yeah that's a great one i wanted to mention real quick uh just, you know, for like Brian's thing. Uh, so like in Brian's case, you guys are going to finish up a, a some shot or one shot on Monday um, mm-hmm. that I'm doing. And oh. I like I like creating interesting characters. And like without giving anything away, something that's just like, you know, has been already mentioned. But the, the, the evil guy mm-hmm. is an orc warlord named Korish Bone Drinker. Oh, dude. <laughs> that's freaking sick. Yeah. So stuff like that, where it's just like, sometimes like something gets said and you're just like, bruh. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's like dope. Freak. Heck, dude, that's, I mean, we're, we're already so like challenged and intimidated by the whole adventure so far. And now like hearing that name, it's just like, ah, that's like so much freaking like thematic pressure. Which is, I that's mean, like, that's oh. like, that's like the goal of the DM. Is like mm-hmm. that oh, is yeah. thematic pressure. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm excited for I'm excited for Monday and and yeah, I mean home homebrew esque episodes are going to be a lot of I mean what we're going to be doing on here. So, um, anyways, uh, so homebrew corner, homebrew corner. Beep, 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 beep. Um, do you want to start with uh, Do you want to start with your character, Brian? Sure. Glick leveled up, and I I went in a direction that I didn't think I was going to go. I wanted to build a scout rogue because i think scouts are the coolest in just flavor by itself but i did this weird thing where i wrote up a character before i chose a subclass and so it that didn't really fit with glick he's he's a uh, a dwarf merchant like a traveling merchant and so uh, i was thinking man uh like what what kind of rogue would a merchant be and so I, I was thinking, well, he could be kind of like a, 
like a Middle Eastern like showman kind of merchant where he he sets up his tent and he's like using the things that he's selling like yeah juggling the knives or you know like really animated Oof. like that's um, sick that's a cool that's a cool idea i love that yeah so like is he would he have some magic to like like put on this show of like the, all these cool vases or what like art pieces or statues that he finds whatever and so that was like a real possibility so with that i was i was thinking either an arcane trickster yeah. or like a swashbuckler still very showy not as magic no magic really but a swashbuckler i think could be they could easily be portrayed as like a traveler that who's just really world weary and just been everywhere yeah right and that would that would lend itself to being a traveling merchant and like i have all these weird things from all the different corners of the earth but then i started thinking about glick the character and his backstory and why is he not why is he why did he leave the mountain essentially and uh i came up with well he's uh he's he's got this like psionic gift slash curse thing yeah so he's okay so his family were miners and they were mining deep into the mountain and they got too close to an illithid colony and uh, his father was like cursed or affected by the mother brain of this illithid colony um and so when glick was born he kind of inherited this psionic ability and so that actually like drove him a little bit crazy yeah, like he had something going on. He, like he wasn't, he was experiencing something different. Yeah, like different. he was like, yeah, like he was like reading people's thoughts and like seeing weird things and hearing weird voices. And so um, he, so he just like ran away, essentially. He just ran away to f- try to figure himself out and then just kind of picked up selling things. And uh, he became a soul knife which is a really cool subclass. It's fairly new. I think it was officially published in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. So instead of, like, physical daggers, he has, if anybody knows anything about X-Men, like the Psylocke, like, psychic dagger thing. Same same concept. He, like, projections of mental energy um, form in uh, the shape of a knife, and he fights with those, and he can use those, and there's there's a bunch of, like, really cool, really cool stuff he can do with with his psychic powers now yeah like he can communicate telepathically he's got the psychic blades um you can soul knives get this extra die it's uh it's called a psionic talent die that they you can use that as kind of an inspiration die to add to an ability check um because like your meant your psychic powers are just like influencing your ability in the world around you to make you a little bit better at stuff and uh, that I mean that could just that was an easy plug-in into this really like showy, charismatic merchant. Yeah, absolutely. Character. I want to give more depth on so. like I think of the common well not even really a trope but a common truth that humor belays pain. Oh yeah, like you a lot of comedians you know there's a lot of pain you know behind that and in in the humor is a way to process it and and mm-hmm. do it in a healthy mm-hmm. way. So I think just like yeah. in a in maybe kind of shifting that a little bit, you know, there, there's there's Definitely. usually a story to why somebody is out doing this and and doing this thing for as their life as their life's work. Um, definitely something yeah. deeper than just that guy that's 
you know, it's on the street corner. Well, you know, but that guy on the street corner has a story. So, right. And right, really right, being able to yeah. reflect that kind of depth that is actually there. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, I'm excited to build this, uh, the rest of this character out. Really excited for this. Yeah. I love it. And, and as you can see, so we're, I'm literally, on, literally on like a seven minute timer. Cause somebody's going to show up in my mm-hmm. house. <laughs> um, so, but like level three is, is when you start to, everybody starts getting their subclasses and really starts to mm-hmm. branch off and become unique from each other. And, and you really start to see differences in play styles. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah, the game really kind of begins at level three for yeah. a character, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I love the points, and I'm gonna I'm gonna include a couple of them in here um, for the encounter. Uh, so I'm just gonna read it exactly as I wrote it. This is again, if for some reason the Thursday night group is still listening, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, <laughs> stop listening now. Um, so um, upon traveling through a path just inside a forest, the party comes across a massive inn. And I might actually, I want to focus on like the importance of one of the things that I will do. And I didn't mention this. One of the things that I will do to gain inspiration for world building is looking at the player, like the player characters, Mm -hmm. look at the characters backstories and find elements in Mm -hmm. there that spark inspiration. That Mm -hmm. is because that's going to have just a win-win situation where now I have, I have inspiration, which is what I need. I don't care where it comes from. And that inspiration is now also going to bring satisfaction to the player. Mm-hmm. It's tying them yeah, in. Yeah, because that's they're, the player is going to instantly feel like an integrated part of, of your world, of the story that's being told. Like, yeah. like whatever happened in my character's backstory is, not, is now up front and center in the game. Yes. And it's like super immersive. Yes. So immediately like I, I i listen to what you're saying and then i'm like oh like how do i incorporate that into what's happening today so instead mm-hmm. of just trout in like up just upon traveling instead maybe you were like you were invited and like you were bringing the party along with you but like you were invited mm-hmm. to perform or to sell like um at this at this um at this inn mm-hmm. and maybe the letter you got was like this very eloquent formal calligraphy uh, calligraphy work you know um piece of you know this letter to you um but it's an inn that you've never heard before and it's just inside these woods that i was talking about that there's definitely vampires in um (laughs) so uh you come across a massive inn on the left side of the path a walled off stable yard empty short of two horses that look to be lying down on the far side in one corner you see what looks to be a smithy workstation though with cold embers on the other side of the path you see another yard this time set in cobblestone and filled with tables all in front of a huge three-story building through the windows and open door, you see the flickering lights of candles and hear the melodic voices of a skillful performance inside. So at that point, then the play, like that's kind of the initial presentation to the players. That really doesn't change no matter what the players have done. But then the players get to choose and then it starts to deviate. So maybe the players want to go check out the left side. They want to go check out the something about the horses might intrigue one of them. So they go look over. And that intrigues me because mm-hmm. I, I know a little bit about horses. And so I'm asking like, why are the horses laying down? Mm-hmm. So if uh, so, then I put, if they get closer to the horses in the stable, you see flies swarming above as you see both of them are deceased. And Investigation 12 um, would gain the player the knowledge that both of the horses died of starvation as they were tied to the stable post, uh, post and couldn't break free. Oof. And you also notice as the, if you get close to the, uh, I didn't write anything down for it, but indicators if they go to the blacksmith as well. 
uh, basically dust just caked on and Cole's investigation might tell them that the coals haven't burned for, for weeks. Oh, oh geez. As you walk through the courtyard to the inn, passive perception of 14 plus or a perception check. I'm trying to use passive perception more in my regular games and mm. in the other stuff. Mm-hmm. You notice all of the tables are in good condition, but caked in dust. Uh, getting closer, wow. getting closer to the building, the smell of decay wafts through the open front doorway. The melodic singing continues. A light male voice echoing through the hallway to the left. As you pass through the the open doorway, you see some of the windows are cracked and shattered, and uh, and yeah, the smell of decay wafts through the open the open front doorway. I'm making kind of an assumption there. The players may not walk through the open doorway, but because uh, <laughs> by now, you know, knowing my players. You know, they went and did something completely different. <laughs> right. By this yeah. time. They went and peed in the bushes yeah, behind, exactly. the, behind the building before even going in. And the, th- the the other thing I think is like originally, you know, for you, you know, kind of this a roguish, I would say like maybe there's a rogue character. I'm thinking somebody in my party is a rogue. Um, mm-hmm. And so then I, in my head, I don't really write it down, but in my head, I'm like, okay, maybe they try to do something akin to their character and they try to be sneaky. And so then in, like, okay, this is a combat-esque encounter. So now if they would like to assassinate somebody, I just have in my head a way that they can do that. Mm-hmm. But I write this out so that I know kind of the environment mostly. So uh, walking down the hall, it finally opens up into the main tavern room, filled to the brim with people all turned to the two, toward the two individuals at the other corner of the room. A tall, beautiful elven male leaning against the bar, casually singing to the crowd, while a finely clothed tabaxi sits on a bench two or three feet to the left, feet propped up on the back of a dining chair, and lazily strums on a lute, head hanging to one side. Both look at your party with smiles, beckoning beckoning you in with their hands. The sound overtakes you. Everybody make a charisma saving throw. Ah, dang. And then, depending on the saving throws, you get, like, things quickly kind of go into disarray. So if you fail, the performance consumes you. Forgetting what brought you down this road, you feel gratitude for chancing upon a once-in-a-lifetime show taking seats in the very back of the room you let the music music fill you leaning your head back and start and start contently listening and watching the beautiful pair if you succeed what you now notice is turning your attention away from the singers and get a full view and you get a full view of the horror in the room you estimate 30 or 40 people are sitting around in the room in front of food and drink that has long since molded and spoiled all of the people look to have some sort of decay about them the people in the back of the room just in front of you looking a bit gaunt and nothing more, but getting progressively worse until the front row just in front of the performers are filled with nothing but exposed skeletons. And the two figures squint immediately at those who do not immediately take a seat, failing the saving throw, but, uh, but they do not stop uh, performing. Um, and then the, the background behind it is both of the figures are vampires and they are luring people in and the... Basically, the audience is just like one by one. They are just coming in and taking a seat and then dying in this room. And it's been happening for weeks. And yeah. And so like there's just like this like progressively like worse thing kind of in the in the room. Um, And then this gradient of death. Yes. Yes. From the center stage. Yes. And then depending on uh, depending on how the fight goes, uh, because they'll you know, a fight will start at some point. I'll let the players do whatever mm-hmm. they want at that point. Um, right. and then just kind of respond depending on how the fight goes. Uh, one of the, one of the performers, the, the person with the loot 
just without missing a beat, he starts casting Ray's Dead, and some of the figures in the audience start to get up and just turn, you know, turns towards the players and, and kind of adding to the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the fight's over, in the very back, there are probably one or two individuals, maybe another hook that you could use to get the players out there. Maybe they were sent to search for him, but there are two individuals mm-hmm. that haven't yet completely died from from this, you know, trance. And so they come, they come back alive. Dang. Yeah, so that's kind of the that was kind of the gothic one of the gothic adventures to uh, that kind of kicked off this uh, this adventure that I'm planning with the other group. Fetch an A, man. I want to play that. <laughs> I we uh, I always like to get use out of the stuff I make, and so you know we can definitely dip our toes into it for sure. Yeah, dude, that was that's a heckin' cool one, man. Okay, guys, I think somebody is knocking on my door right this second, but I'll let him wait for half a second because he's my brother. But uh, <laughs> glad it. Thank you for listening, guys. Um, thank you, Brian, for the character stuff. I love like now, you know, like he's like Brian said, now that we're like level three and beyond. Now we're starting to really hear like Brian has the capability now to just like dive in and mm-hmm. and pull some pull some stuff out that gets to be unique to his character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially as we start getting like feats and ability score improvements and stuff, there's some features and options that that'll come along and really really bring this character to life. So it's exciting. All right, guys, thanks for listening, um, and we'll see you next time. Next time we're gonna be talking about the Legend of Vox Machina, the TV show, not the campaign. We gotta we gotta differentiate <laughs> different that. It's gonna be good stuff. Thanks, guys.